0: Hey everyone, I'm Wes Butler, business director for our family of churches. If you found our church during the pandemic but haven't actually attended a public gathering before, we'd love to connect you to our church family. Please out the online connect card found on the homepage of our website so someone can contact you. For all of us, please come out for our monthly night of prayer and worship on Sunday, November 22nd at 5 p.m. in the parking lot of our downtown church. Make sure to bring a chair and an electronic device. At this gathering, we're partnering with Daybreak Crisis Pregnancy Center, one of our Serve the City partnerships, to meet a couple of their needs. First, we're collecting diapers, wipes, formula, and maternity clothes, new or gently used. For diapers, sizes four, five, and six are the biggest need. Secondly, Daybreak is also looking for mommy mentors, mothers who can come alongside new and expectant mothers to build relationships with them once a week via phone call or in person. Mentorship is a one year commitment, and they are in search of Christian moms to serve in this capacity. To find out more, go to our events page. And finally, just as a reminder to mark your calendars for January 3rd, 2021, as that's when we will start hosting one gathering at 10 a.m. in our auditorium. For full details, including information on child care and Kid Town, please visit slash regather. We hope to see you at our night of prayer and worship. And with that, let's open God's Word. You're listening to teaching from Midtown Fellowship, a Jesus-centered family on
1: mission in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're interested in finding out more about us, our family of churches, or how to partner with us, go to MidtownColumbia.com. All right, good to see you. Appreciate you guys. Uh, Those of you who are here with me, and hello to everybody watching at home or with your life group or however you are participating with us this morning, We're continuing to look at the timeless teaching of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount as what I have found to be a very helpful, healthy break from the craziness that has been the year 2020, and we'll continue with that for this morning. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, he's teaching what the Christian life looks like when lived out in community. He's setting a vision for how he wants his people to follow him and his way. And today, we're gonna look at at least one verse that I think if you asked any average American, they would be able to quote this verse. So this would be like, if you said, give me two verses from the Bible, I think this would be one of them that they could make into their top two. We'll look at Matthew chapter 7. Verses 1 through 6, the more famous portion is the very beginning. So I want to work, uh, work through the whole section first to get the big idea of what Jesus is saying here, and then maybe work back through it a bit for some insight. So Matthew 7, 1 through 6, let's read, and we'll talk a little bit as we, as we read through it. So here is the, the more famous portion of this section of Scripture, Matthew 7, verse 1. Judge not that you not be judged. Don't judge. Do not judge. Verse 2, For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Don't judge me, man. Super famous line from Jesus. It fits right in, at least in appearances, with our culture's belief that religion is subjective, that morality is relative. We have this image of Jesus saying, don't judge me, don't judge others, as he's on his way to a pilgrimage to one of the states that just legalized weed. It's a do whatever you want because God is love kind of a feel for that line. I don't think the verse means what people tend to think it means. And I know that because Jesus keeps talking. We would uh, do better with biblical literacy if we would just keep reading sometimes. I think most Americans are very wrong as to what Jesus intends here when he tells us not to judge others. Keep reading verse 3. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So this teaching from Jesus is actually about how to present someone with corrective truth. That's the goal. Presenting needed corrective truth to another person. We know that from verse 5, where Jesus says, so that you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. That's the end game. That's the goal that Jesus is teaching towards. Your brother or sister, has a speck of sawdust in their eye. If you ever had sawdust in your eye, you know that it really hurts. And Jesus is drawing on his experience growing up as a carpenter. And he's saying we want to help those who have a speck of sawdust in their eye to get it out. So Jesus is not here telling us that we should never tell anyone that they're wrong. Jesus did that all the time. The Sermon on the Mount is full of examples of Jesus giving correction. He's not calling civil authorities to abdicate their role in upholding justice. If you're a courtroom judge, you must judge. That's what we're paying you to do. Jesus is not teaching that we should mind our own business and be individualistic relativists. The whole point of his teaching here is your brother or sister has something in their eye. They need your help. They need your help. So this is a specific scenario that he's speaking into. In fact, Jesus uses that word brother three times. Throughout this one section of Scripture, he's referring to a fellow follower of Christ. So the scenario that he has in mind here is a brother or sister has sin in his or her life. What do we do? There are two unhelpful responses we can have. We can be silent or we can be judgmental. Those are the two unhelpful options, and Jesus corrects both of them. So scenario here, let's say that I'm stealing candy from babies. This is a repeated habit in my life. You've watched it happen. I leave babies crying as I eat their candy. Two unhelpful responses would be, number one, silence. To say, who am I, who am I to judge? you got to do what's right for you. Maybe Adam was born inclined towards stealing candy, and this is just him being himself. He seems happy. It works for him. Whatever. I just think God wants people to be happy. Unhelpful response. The other unhelpful response would be judgment. When Jesus uses this word judge and judgment here, he's not talking about discerning good from evil or right from wrong. He's talking about dismissing someone because of it. He's speaking about a judgmental posture, condescending, superior, self-righteous, and dismissive. We're also being judgmental when or if we assume the worst of others and cast a verdict over them because of it. When we believe we have all the information, when we don't actually have all the information, and then we pronounce condemnation onto people. When we conclusively summarize who a person is and then gladly tell everybody else our conclusions because I'm right and you're wrong and the world needs to know. The whole time I had a plank in my eye that was actually deterring my vision. So, Jesus speaks against both of those here. He speaks against silence and being judgmental, and he offers a better way because nobody wants a judgmental community and equally unhealthy as if we're all running around with sawdust in our eyes and no one's willing to help because it might get awkward or uncomfortable. So, so listen, just for some theological foundations here everyone, every single person, including me, is born with disordered desires as a result of our fallenness or our sin nature. So our natural preference because of sin is not to worship God in spirit and truth. So the very starting point for how God comes to us and interacts with us is that of loving confrontation. From the very beginning, God does not affirm all of our desires, preferences, and experiences. So this means that there will be things that I am inclined towards, that I prefer, things that come naturally to me, that are actually sinful and not in line with how God created life to work. These are things that would not lead to my long-term joy, whether I can perceive that or not. And it is loving of God to confront me with this and call me to repent, which means I forsake what I prefer and walk in line with what he calls me to. And when God confronts me and saves me, he begins in me a process called sanctification, growth, ongoing growth in Christ. And he saves me into his spiritual family with intentions that in walking with other believers, we can help each other as we grow. That's the plan. So when you, you, non-COVID cough, I promise, when you judge or withhold helpful, loving correction from a fellow believer, you shortchange the sanctification process in that person's life. You fail to play the part that God has given you. You fail to love. And that's the point of this passage. Jesus is saying, help each other. Don't be silent and don't judge. Help and seek to build up and not tear down. And then he goes on to verse 6. Read verse 6 with me here. Jesus says, Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest do they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. So, what in the world is this? We had a nice, coherent line of thought, and all of a sudden now Jesus is bringing up pigs and dogs. What is he doing here? All right, when a pig or a dog is hungry, what do they want? Not a trick question. They want food. So a pearl is of great value. A pearl, in fact, could buy years of pig meals. But a pig does not know that. They can't perceive that. So you have a hungry pig, and you throw them some pearls, and the pig thinks, I can't eat this. And then they turn, and they come after you, because at least you're edible. So Jesus is saying here, You have to be smart. Dogs and pigs don't appreciate pearls. Don't give them that. In fact, Jesus once told a crowd, many things you are not ready for yet. So what Jesus is actually saying here, he's continuing his thought by giving a a cultural illustration. And he's saying, you can't simply push things onto people in a way that they can't digest, What you have to say to them might be great and valuable stuff, but that doesn't mean it's what's best for that person that you're correcting in that moment. Pearls are great. They're very valuable, but they're wasted if they're given in the wrong context. In other words, Jesus is saying we have to be patient with the pace of God in other people's lives. You have to be sensitive to the pace of God in other believers' lives. So I need to say that for some of you, this is the needed correction for you today from this passage. You like to think of yourself as a truth teller. You value speaking truth to others, which is good and needed. But at times you do so in a way that is insensitive to the pace of God and the lives of those to whom you're speaking. So they bristle and they cannot receive what you're saying to them. And you tend to blame them for not being able to handle the truth. But Jesus here is saying, potentially it's your fault, because you're undiscerning and therefore pushy. So the overall idea of this teaching is that Jesus intends for us to be a community that doesn't remain silent, but instead speaks truth to each other in love, not in a judgmental superior way, but in a humble, helpful, skillful, sensitive way, so that we actually help each other grow in Christ. That's the overall idea. I just want to show you a couple things that he says here in the middle of the passage. I want to work back through it just to get a little bit more insight and help. So just look right back at verse 1, chapter 7, verse 1. Let's read a little bit. We'll talk a little bit. Judge not, that you not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. In other words, if you are self-righteous and judgmental, you'll tend to lead others to be the same. And if you never ever speak truth into a fellow Christian's life, you'll tend to leave others to do the same. You can either cultivate a gospel culture in your relationships or a sinful culture in your relationships. You're sowing into one or the other. And uh, you know this, if you know someone who's always critical, always pointing out what's wrong, everybody's an idiot but them, they tend to bring their community around them into that. And then there are people who you have an unspoken agreement with where you both know that if I don't bother you and you don't bother me, then we just live however we want and sort of coexist with each other. But when someone is humble about their own sin and helpful to others in their sin, doesn't condemn and reject, but instead forgives, this works to create a beautiful, safe, transformative community to be a part of. Verse 3, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? but do not notice the log that is in your own eye. In other words, it's easy to spot a judgmental person unless you're looking in the mirror. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? So this is, this is how to be judgmental 101. Other people's sins are a bigger deal to you than your sin. That's how to be a judgmental person level one. Have other people's sin bother you more than your sin bothers you. So Jesus here talks about a speck. That's a little, that's a little piece of sawdust. That's a small fleck of wood or hay. And then he uses the term uh, log or plank. That's one of the main supporting beams of a building. So it's a, it's a joke. Jesus is saying you're so concerned about the smallest little piece of sawdust in your friend's eye, but you don't care about the telephone pole sticking out of yours. If I could suggest, I would guess this is probably the biggest problem in your marriage that you're not actively on the lookout for. You're more concerned about your spouse's sin than your own. Their sin feels more harmful than yours does. It'll change your marriage altogether if you both begin to be more concerned about your own sin than the other person's. If you get two people pointing fingers, you've you've got a war. If you get one pointing a finger and the other owning their sin, you've got a bully But if you get both people owning their sin, you get something beautiful and sweet and compelling in all relationships and especially in marriage. And the truth for me, here's where I struggle. Um, I tend to be more judgmental towards sins that I don't struggle with. So if you struggle the same way I struggle, then I've got all the patience in the world because I get it. The struggle is real. I understand what you're going through. You know, we're in it together. But if you struggle in ways that, that I don't have a problem with, it's easy for me to think, well, you're just not trying. All you have to do is just do it. This is easy. When actually we're very different and we all have different sin struggles. And this is part of the problem and why we need each other is that we all, sometimes even unbeknownst to ourselves, have a list of acceptable sins and unacceptable sins. And this is why we need to be able to speak truth and life into one another to get different perspective than simply our own. Here's part of, I think, why we, or at least some of us, are so tempted to look at specks in other people's eyes without dealing with the logs, the beams in our own. Jesus lays it out there in verse 5. It's the first line here. He says, you hypocrite. We've talked about this a good bit in the series, but that word hypocrite is a word for actor. Actors used to wear masks. They would hide who they really were. They had happy masks and sad masks, and the part was not the same as the heart What you presented on the outside did not necessarily represent what was inside. And the reality is there's an inclination in the human heart to divert attention away from what's really going on with us. We want to get into image management. We don't want people to see what we're really like. So let's hide what I'm really like by focusing on everybody else. We love to use specks in other people's eyes to avoid having to look at our own planks. And I feel so much better about me as long as I'm focused on what's wrong with you. Could you just for a second pause and imagine what if the two political parties in our country began to apply Jesus's words here? Just bounce out of church for just a second and see how smart Jesus is by realizing the breakdowns that happen at a societal level when his teaching is disobeyed. How rare is it at this point to find even a shred of what Jesus teaches here in our politicians and our parties these days? Everybody's so arrogantly confident of their own righteousness and so quick to pounce on the potential error in the other side. The whole thing is a big finger pointing game where the other side always thinks, or each side thinks the other side's wrongs are the real problem. It it causes breakdown wherever you see it. So what's the solution? How can we be helpful instead of silent or judgmental? Jesus goes on, first take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck that's in your brother's eye. Jesus says, the solution is to point the finger at ourselves first and then we're freed up to help others. That's the solution. To be more concerned with my sin than I am concerned with your sin. We've got plenty of sin to care about in my own life. So what we've got to get first is that Jesus knows about our sin. He knew all about our sin, all about our planks, our logs. And what did he do? He was nailed to them. He didn't sit silently by. He didn't move to condemn us. Instead, he lovingly died to free us from the power of our sin. And when we're humbled by that, then we have the posture and humility and gentleness necessary to approach and help our friends. We've got planks to worry about first. We've got logs to worry about first. And then we deal with sawdust. So until you're honest about your own sinfulness and need for Jesus, you're no longer finding your inner confidence from proving your own goodness, but instead receiving your self-image from God himself. Until then, you really can't be helpful to others. You're going to be dangerous to be around because you'll be using, pointing out the specks in others' eyes to feel better about yourself as a way to divert attention from your own logs or planks. The solution to silence or judgment is to see that God has lovingly confronted your sin for your salvation. So let me just very quickly give some application questions and we're actually gonna be done, short and simple this morning. Just a few questions that I think could lead us into some good discussion and hopefully some obedience this week. In your relationships, all of them, whose sin is the bigger deal to you? And all of them, marriage, roommates, co-workers, boss, employees, if the answer isn't mine, then you need to do some soul searching and I would submit you are a potentially dangerous person to be in community with. Another question, are you receptive to correction? Are are you receptive to correction? Are there people in your life who you know will sit you down and speak truthfully to you? If no one can challenge you and call you out, you're not gonna grow. Your growth will always be limited. And listen, people have to be able to call you out in ways that you prefer them not. If you have categories where you're clear, you can confront me here but not there, something has gone wrong. Maybe maybe I should ask, what's something you don't want anybody to correct you on? And that'd be a good place for you to do some self-inspection and some prayer and some confession. Last question, question, Are you withholding correction from a brother or sister in Christ? Is there somebody that you need to talk to? Is there anyone that you know you need to humbly speak with them about some sawdust in their eye? And you've been avoiding it for whatever reason. And just to reiterate, I'm not talking about something that bothers you or something that you would like someone to just change. This is about sin and what the Bible speaks into. So there's a huge difference between being motivated by frustration with someone and being motivated by wanting more of Jesus for someone. So if you're motivated by frustration, then what you're really saying is, you bother me and I think if you would change this, I could be happier. That's not our role. So let's reject silence and judgment and let's help each other grow. Whatever amount of understanding you would want others to show you, show to them. Whatever amount of grace you would want others to show to you, show to them. Whatever amount of helping you grow to become more like Jesus, you would want others to show to you, show to them. Whatever amount of prayer you would want others to pray for you, pray for them. And whatever amount of love, real love, love that seeks the best, that sacrifices, that says the hard stuff and stands by you all the way through, whatever love you would want others to show to you, show to them. This is who Jesus calls us to be. Let me pray for us. Jesus, would you help us to walk in this? Simple, straightforward, good stuff. Real community where everyone is loved and accepted and everyone is challenged and corrected, where I'm known, where I'm loved, where I'm encouraged, and where I'm pushed forward to be more like you. Make that more and more true of us, God. Thank you for all the ways that it is true of us as a church, as a family of churches. I pray that you would make it increasingly so by the power of your spirit, for your glory and for our good, amen.